The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, welcome back into the Eye on College Basketball podcast. Listen, here's the deal. Parrish is on vacation. Kyle Boone is on daddy duty. David Cobb is currently on the West Coast. It's too early for him. My man's asleep right now. I'm I'm going solo. This is a solo Friday show. We could have not given you a pod, but come on. We love you too much. There's actually been enough news items here over the past 48 hours that I wanted to at least uh, do a bing, bang, boom and get you up to date on that. So, yes, I am Matt Norlander and I am flying solo. Nada is here. Nada, real quick. Can you hear? It is a downpour thunderstorm as uh, as I come to you from Connecticut here on Friday morning. Can you hear the rain over my mic right now? Are we OK? We are. You are completely fine. I don't hear it right now. So this is a, a you were caught in the same thunderstorm that like continues to travel up the East Coast. But I do not hear it at this point. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's biblical out there. My actually, my poor wife, she's at the she uh, she went to the grocery store this morning and um, literally moments before we got rolling on this, I get the text in all caps. Oh, my God. And I already knew what it was because she had gone into the store and it was a mild rain. And when she came out, um, yeah, it is uh, cats and dogs out there. There's been some like, you know wall shaking thunder so we might get there we might not on the pod hopefully uh hopefully the power stays good for the entirety of it but uh i also know we've got listen we're fortunate to have listeners literally across the world but in every state and uh, my you know the state that i grew up in vermont in particular has been hit uh just brutally by rains and and floods and so um thoughts go out to everyone there some parts of new hampshire some parts of the hudson valley in new york as well so there's been some uh, some terrible storms there in our in our thoughts uh with everyone uh, in the recovery efforts before i get rolling on a few news items um we do have our 20 shoot around team summer shoot around teams that we're going to start next now that's next week we're going to get rolling i think we're going to try and do three teams per week at least two and probably in some weeks we're going to do three uh, here are the teams all 20 of them arizona arkansas baylor Connecticut, Creighton, Duke, FAU, Gonzaga, Houston, Kansas, Kentucky. We'll get to the Wildcats in just a minute. Marquette, Miami, Michigan State, North Carolina, Purdue, Final Four, San Diego State, St. John's, Texas, and 
USC. So those are the 20. Now, as always, we will do a bonus 21st episode on a 21st team. The winner of our auction, the link to that is in the description to this podcast, whether you're watching on YouTube. How you doing, YouTube? Great to see you. If you're listening on your phone, shouts to our OG pod subscribers and listeners that way. Go into the description, rally your buddies. It is an eBay auction, so it is one single item, and you will have to, you know, rally money, identify what school you are trying to get there, and then it does. It literally does not matter. It could be a power conference. We don't have UCLA in the list. It could be UCLA, or last year we literally did Bellarmine. You could be the smallest D one school, but if you are a D one school, I do want to put that in there. D one school only. Um, keep bidding, and uh, and the winner will get the twenty first episode. Nada, I think I checked that that thing last night. I think it's got the bidding up for four days, but I, I think we need to adjust that and have that be available literally for as long as possible to the end of the series. So, you know, the final week or so we can get that up and uh, whatever fan base raises the most money for St. Jude, you're going to get your bonus episode. That'll probably come end of August. I'm guessing maybe first week of September. Keep an eye out on that. Anything else people should know Nada, about the uh, summer shoot around? So far, we've had Clemson come in. Uh, I think the Clemson basketball fans have come through, have let some of that football collective money come through, allowed them <laughs> thus far. But I'm going to t- say this. I know there's a big Dayton collective. I yes. know y'all are not allowed. I, you, you guys aren't going to allow yourselves to get outbid by Clemson, right? Mm. Like, like, that's my challenge. Dayton, I, we keep hearing from you guys. I, I want to see, again, this is how you talk. You want the 21st episode to be Dayton? Here's your chance. UCLA, here's your chance. I, I don't want to hear any complaining about my school get got left out yeah. because we gave you the opportunity to bid for this at this point. And yeah, we're looking chance. we're looking to get a fan base to ideally rally at least a thousand dollars for St. Jude. That should be possible. You get, you know, uh, get a few of your few of your buddies, few of your friends uh, to really chip in. I think that should be doable. You're gonna have at least a month to do this again. We will tw- you'll You'll see that uh, link tweeted out plenty of times by myself, by the Ion College Basketball account, CBS Sports, CBB account on Twitter, amongst other places. So uh, please do that. And shouts to Luke in the YouTube chat watching from Switzerland today. Appreciate you, Luke. Thank you so, so much. All right. Uh, we've got a, a number of relatively quick news items, but I did want to just at least address them going into the weekend and then starting next week and barring any other. I have no Huggins updates, thankfully. <laughs> thankfully, no Huggins updates at this hour. Um, but our next episode very well might be the summer shoot around early next week. Um, all right. First is Javon Quinterly. He has officially uh, transferred to Memphis as long expected. He is a grad transfer, which means he is immediately eligible. Uh, reminder as things, you know, stand in college basketball and college athletics right now. If you want to transfer for the first time as an undergraduate, your first transfer, you don't sit. That's new legislation in the past few years. Second time, you need a waiver. And many second-time transfers are in the process of trying to get the waivers. There's not a lot of optimism that those second-time transfers as undergrads will get those waivers and they might actually have to do what you know, transfers did forever and sit a year, which is an understandable rule. And I don't fight that whatsoever. If you transfer a second time, I think you should sit. But if you were a graduate transfer, obviously there is no sitting. There never has been. Quinterly, grad transfer to Memphis. He will not sit. Uh, he'll be 25 in November. This now marks the second straight year that Penny Hardaway is going to have a transfer veteran running his offense. Of course, Kendrick Davis was that player last year. Davis was... I think objectively a top 20 player in the sport. We might've had him third team all America. In fact, uh, at the end of last season, he was 
more statistically accomplished when he went to Memphis than Quinterly was. But Quinterly's a very, very good player. I, I said, I said on earlier this offseason, I think Quinterly's ceiling is like top 20 player in the country next season, given his age, his experience, and uh, and obviously just a savvy, heady guy running uh, running the point there for Memphis, who now, by the way, has David Jones, St. John's transfer, who averaged, who, uh, averaged 13 and 7 last season. You've got Caleb Mills, who is, is certainly capable of being the guy for Memphis in any number of games this season. How about, how, by the way, how about, how about your boy here talking Memphis with no parish? I'm getting, am I getting like three, four straight minutes of talking Memphis and parish isn't going to interject. It's not going to interrupt. This is <laughs> gosh, it's a blessed timeline right now. Um, Mills, I think will be really important. You still have, remember Deandre Williams, who is in the process of trying to get his last year of eligibility. Now that ties back to, I believe his time at Evansville and he had a season where he had to sit. And now he's got someone, uh, he's got a lawyer campaigning for him to say, here's why they actually retroactively, he should have been eligible, but he wasn't. So he's deserving of the bonus here. If he is eligible, he will be a 27 year old playing college basketball. I think Memphis might be the oldest team, regardless in the sport next season. If Williams plays, there will be no debate about it. Memphis will be the oldest team. And Quinterly now coming aboard, uh, I think that, you know, with whatever, everything that, that Penny Hardaway is going to have here, I think they are a top 25 team without debate. Quinterly is going to be that good and will be that important. Uh, there will also be Jordan Brown that's going to be on this roster, probably a, a starter. Quinterly and Jordan Brown were both five-star prospects in the class of 2018. I would expect Jordan Brown, who's transferred from Louisiana, but former Nevada and Texas player, um, five-star out of Texas. He'll start the season as well. So uh, not unexpected, long anticipated, but now official Javon Quinterly to Memphis. Tigers will be intriguing yet again. Hardaway trying to make the NCAA tournament for a third straight season. Elsewhere, we've got Kentucky playing some hoop. And uh, playing some hoop on CBS Sports Network, by the way. So Kentucky's in the Global Jam, which is going down in Toronto. Now, this is the event a year ago that Baylor played in. It was Keontae George's coming out party, and he went he went off. Kentucky's played two games this week. It'll play again on Saturday. And then it's already uh, it, it's gone 2-0. It's beaten Germany and Canada. So it will play in the gold medal game, and that will be Sunday. On Wednesday, Kentucky beat Germany. Um, had good showings from West Virginia transfer Trey Mitchell uh, and and Antonio Reeves, who's back with the team. Mitchell had 24 points. Reeves had 20. Uh, Adu Thiero uh, had 9.7 boards, three assists, two blocks, and two steals in that game. He's actually done pretty well for himself. Uh, he had 29 shots in 20 games last season, um, but has had a couple of really nice... Maybe, he, listen, I'm not going to overstate these games because the competition is just okay. But any news is kind of good news. That's positive news for Kentucky. And you've got that through two games this point. Uh, DJ Wagner scored 25 through two games. He had six dimes, a pair of steals and blocks against Germany. And then Rob Dillingham, who's going to be another real big impact freshman. He had nine assists versus Canada on Thursday night. So you've gotten you've gotten good production and showings from Reeves, who's had two really good back to back games. Justin Edwards had 16 points and five rebounds against Canada in the second game for Kentucky. Uh, Reed Shepard was a standout in the second game that won on Thursday night against Canada. He had a play where he popped out, blocked a three-pointer, got the loose ball, went in transition. It was kind of a race to the rim, 
and had a contested dunk go down. Uh, some good stuff out of Shepard. He had 14 points and four assists along with four steals. And, uh, you know, one of the many lauded freshmen on this team. But between them and Mitchell and Dillingham, it's been good. Uh, Kentucky's moved the ball. Well, I've watched a little bit here, a little bit there. It's been on CBS. Uh, some of this has been on CBS Sports Network, and you'll be able to watch them uh, again on CBS Sports Network this this weekend. But, uh, you know, active hands. They're shooting a lot. They're shooting plenty. They were, what, 11 of 30 against Canada from three-point range. You're getting at least a sense of what Kentucky might be. And this is just like it's an initial, it's an initial look at a team that I said I wouldn't put in my preseason top 25. I might not even be off of that just yet. Uh, willing to potentially change my mind, but uh, I still got to see. And again, you know, Germany and Canada were the two best teams that Kentucky was going to face in this event. Uh, they won those games comfortably. Uh, now they'll play Africa on Friday. That will be on CBS Sports. No, Saturday. It'll be, it is Friday now. They'll play Africa Saturday, 1.30 Eastern on CBS Sports Network. Uh, and then they will play 8 o'clock Sunday uh, in the title game, also on CBS Sports Network. So you get some Kentucky hoops in the middle of the summer. That's kind of, it's, it's a nice little bonus there. And yeah, Cal is splitting, like he's splitting the minutes more evenly as he should. Any coach should be doing that for an event like this. One to get it, to really, you know, give your roster an opportunity to, uh, to play with each other and, you know, in a real game and, and, you know, against some, some talented international players, but, uh, but I wouldn't take too, too much into this. Like there's some intrigue, there's some mystery surrounding this Kentucky team. Uh, and there's more than a decent dose of pressure on Cal. Obviously Kentucky's been up and down the drama, you know, we document it weekly on the, on a national CBS college basketball podcast, but some good, some good early signs. And, and I would expect Kentucky's not going to lose in this event. I think it'll head home 4-0 and with a, with a little title and that stuff. Even if that doesn't mean something significant to the national college basketball landscape and it's the middle of July. And, you know, frankly, unless you're, unless you're the kind of diehard Kentucky fan or you're listening to a podcast on College Hoops in July, uh, many people won't even be aware that Kentucky's playing in this thing. But for that locker room, for that program, I actually think this is a pretty positive thing going into the fall, especially when you look back and see where Kentucky was six weeks ago. It's been a nice, it's been a nice little you know, turn of events, if you will, for, for Kentucky. So they've looked good in global jam. We'll see how they look on Friday against Africa and or Saturday against Africa. And then Sunday against the opponent that is uh, to be determined. So a couple little news items there, the selection committee met the NCAA uh, men's division one basketball committee met this week in Indianapolis and Discussed a number of things, but the most notable fact that they got into the topic of NCAA tournament expansion. I will detail what was said and what it means. But first, here's a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Also, continue to send in your comments and questions to the show over email. Shouts to cbs at gmail.com. Include your name and the town or city you are from. We've got a great variety of general intrigue and really random comments that have filled up the inbox since we started that email address last year. Uh, Send it whenever inspiration hits you. In the middle of a show or in the middle of the night, doesn't matter to us. Uh, Some of these things are funny. We can't respond to everyone and we can't get everyone on the show, but you never know. We have had some random ones pop in. And on the mailbag note, um, we have done some video submissions in the past. Would like to do more. So if you feel compelled, keep it simple. Who you are, where you're from, and your question, rapid. 15 seconds or less. Shorter the better, right to the point. Um, we appreciate some of the videos that say you know, who you are, where you're from, and why you like the show, but we want to keep it tight. So if you can keep it tight, you want to send in something, you might just see yourself on YouTube. All right, we're cruising on this episode, by the way. Nada, you liking this pace? One after the other? You feeling this, Nada? A little, a little Norlander solo action? I'm enjoying this a lot because this just means that we can edit this, have everything done probably before lunchtime and I can enjoy our weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I wanted to listen. I wanted to get this in. I'm heading up to, uh, to Saratoga in a few hours with my wife and uh, catching a couple of Dave Matthews band shows this weekend. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And no grief from anyone on this pod about that. I first, I saw my first DMB show in Saratoga in 1998. So 25 years later, I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, could be a big fun weekend i'm pretty eager to get up there and uh yeah, maybe some stories to tell down uh, down the road all right as to uh what happened in indianapolis earlier this week so every summer the men's basketball division one men's basketball committee which is also the people that comprise the selection committee for the men's uh, tournament they meet um there are any number of things on their agenda some of them wind up becoming you know publicly revealed some don't i mean there was undoubtedly things discussed in that room uh that is uh, confidential information. But, you know, the, the quick talking point is that the committee did say, listen, we went and we spent time talking about tournament expansion. I'm going to read you the release from the NCAA here and then a, a quick take on what it means. Um, so, quote, the NCAA Division I Men's Basketball Committee spent time talking about possible expansion of the Division I Men's Basketball Championship during its three-day meeting this week, though expanding the 68-team field is not imminent. Not a minute. The discussion followed recommendations made in January by the Division I Transformation Committee, which was formed in 2021 to identify opportunities to modernize college sports and recommend forward-thinking changes for consideration by the NCAA. One of those recommendations included accommodating 25% of a sports membership with championship access for sports that have at least 200 participating schools. Not including 11 schools currently in the reclassifying process from Division II, there are 351 D1 institutions that sponsor men's basketball, translating into 19.4% of schools that make the NCAA tournament. The association also owns the men's NIT, which features 32 teams, increasing the overall percentage to 28.5%. I actually happen to feel that's a relevant percentage, a relevant number, that 28.5%. This is from Dan Gavitt. The committee must be good stewards for the Division I Men's Basketball Championship. They are committed to doing their due diligence, looking at a few different models to make an informed decision that's in the best interest of the championship, and that may very well include deciding against expansion. End quote from Gavitt. 
Two more uh, statements here from uh, from the NCAA's release. The last time the tournament expanded was before the 2011 championship when the field went from 65 to 68 teams. The field went from 64 to 65 in 01, marking the first time the field had expanded since it went from 53 to 64 in 85 when there two, were 282 Division One schools. Gavitt said, the committee and staff will continue studying options and gathering feedback from various constituents. Whether the tournament expands or not remains to be seen. So... A notable update there. And within this discussion, I'm actually I'm, I'm sure it was uh, plenty detailed from everything from um, the impact on the regular season. You know, listeners to this pod, viewers to this pod are all too aware that I'm extremely anti expansion, um, not because I wouldn't enjoy a couple more tournament games in March. I think once we if we did that, like, you know, what, I'm going to not watch the tournament. No, uh, it would undeniably reduce the urgency and meaning of the regular season. And as someone who loves November and December hoop as much as anything, um, the more tournament teams you have, the less those games will mean, in my opinion. And I'm going to go back to what I reported on in January, so close to six months ago, uh, if not six months ago. My understanding is that a lot of the stakeholders that would be involved in in the process of, of changing the format of the tournament aren't desiring of that right now. And I mean desiring of it to go from even 68 to 72, which isn't to say that it won't ultimately happen. I hope it does not. The TV contract runs through 2032 with with CBS and Warner Brothers Discovery Sports, formerly Turner Sports. Uh, So if the window is there, maybe that winds up being it. Um, But I just don't think there's a lot of desire to do this. And the more teams you put in, uh, I I do believe that it waters down a lot of things. Plus I've said this before. I do think it bears repeating and I don't think it's a small thing. Like I think there is something to the actual shape of the bracket, like even 68's like, oh, we'll take it. But 64 is that's what actually perfectly fits on a, on, uh, on a piece of paper, on a printout. Like don't underestimate the power of the paper of the bracket. Right. So um, the NCAA just acknowledging this. I also think by the way, is almost like common procedure in that, the transformation committee was this huge thing and it had all these recommendations and it would have been improper, almost like a thumb in the eye to the, the transformation committee. If you know the selection committee met and didn't even publicly acknowledge that like, okay, you made the recommendation that we should look into potentially 25% of a sports membership. And then they give an update and say, UNC athletic director, Bubba Cunningham will be the chair, you know, uh, starting in a, in a year from now and 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 we're working on you know re, reformatting the uh or bringing in new new names to be on the committee and uh and yeah that's that you know um i think this was more like well they recommended it we kind of have to mention that we talked about it and they probably i'm not saying they didn't talk about it in legitimate terms i think that they did but there are so many things that would have to go into changing the format of the tournament and the logistical challenge from uh, how you land on the number, the TV component, which is not insignificant whatsoever, um, where the games will be played, the travel logistics of all that. You know, you got to get these buildings, these all the all these different cities and 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 communities would have to be able to uh, support it. Which in in theory they would be able to, but it is a it is a major lift. It is a even going from sixty eight to seventy two, which is only four teams, uh, which I still don't want to see. Um, but even if it was that. Um, even that is 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 a is a heavy thing to push across the finish line. So uh, it feels like we're still a good ways away, which I think is good. Um, I 
don't know this for certain, but I feel like Dan, I, I get the feeling that Dan Gavitt, who is really the, the head of all this, um, that he is not overly eager to, ex- to have the tournament expanded and have that be something that happens on his watch, which, uh, Dan, if that's the case, you know, you know, absolutely. I think, I think the tournament, where, how it is, is the perfect construction. 16s play ones, 15 plays twos, you know, 14s play threes and so on and so forth in the first round after we get through the first four. And we'll see where it goes from here. And a weird coincidence of timing, uh, Greg Sankey, it was announced will be the SEC commissioner through, I think, 2028. Sankey is one of the most powerful people in all of college athletics, and he has been public about his willingness to discuss inflating the size of the tournament. So we'll see. I think they were they also probably discussed things like public sentiment. They know that this is inherently an unpopular decision. Uh, I'm not going to say everyone is against it because everyone isn't against it, but an overwhelming amount of sports fans and college basketball fans are not in favor of expanding the NCAA tournament and that stuff matters as well. So, um, well, I guess we'll see what happens with next steps here. And then one more thing that's unrelated to this that I actually thought we might get, but we didn't, uh, we still don't know the 2031 final four site. Now we were supposed to get that last November. It was going to be Atlanta. I was told Atlanta with the prices it was putting on hotel rooms and a lot of the stuff that, you know, cities have to put forth. All right, here's the cost. Here's, here's how much it's going to, the bill's going to run. Um, Atlanta was just too expensive. I felt like Atlanta was going to get it eventually. Cause remember Atlanta lost to 2020 final four, uh, but we did not get that yet. So I don't have a timeline on when that's going to happen. And if Atlanta is going to indeed keep, I would think it's going to, but we are not there uh, at all with, uh, with knowing what that final four is. So other than that, that's uh, I'd be curious to see what else would, you know, it's a three day meeting. They talk about a lot of stuff in there. They, they, you know, if you're really into the nitty gritty, like they go into, reviews on teams that made the tournament they kind of they, they look at you know they, they look back at the process after they're a few months removed from having determined the field of 68 how they how they seeded and everything and and they have a lot of data evaluation and uh it's something that i'd love to be able to sit in on and, and just you know kind of observe would love to do that uh because they i don't think the public really truly knows how much time energy and passion is spent for doing that like the people that are involved in that process are really, really involved. And even the athletic directors that I've argued for years, um, you can have some of them on there, but these are people with like extremely busy jobs and, uh, and the, and the committee should be more diversified. That said, like, you know, it is a dream assignment and they do put a lot into it. And the, and the support staff at the NCAA, uh, buttressing those people and, and really helping them with that process. Uh, you know, that can't go, uh, overstated in my opinion so we'll wait on the wait on updates we'll see if we get any more later in the year baseball has begun which means you need to listen to fantasy baseball today in five part of the cbs sports podcast network join scott white chris towers and me frank samphill every monday through saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes we'll break down the biggest performers news and prospects who could make an impact this season Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. What's up, y'all? 
This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. Elsewhere, a couple more headlines here. Uh, the ACC. The ACC has a new TV deal. The CW. The network that got dragged for broadcasting live events. You took, a, you took stock of reaction across the sports landscape on Thursday, and this is seen as a win. And hey, by all means, here's a... Here's a, a Two, uh, two graphs from the release that came down on Thursday from the ACC. The CW Network announced it has secured exclusive broadcast rights to 50 Atlantic Coast Conference college football and basketball games each season through 2026-27. In addition to 13 football games, the CW will broadcast 28 men's basketball games and nine women's basketball games each season. These games will be featured in December, January, and February with men's basketball doubleheaders taking place every Saturday afternoon in women's basketball games on Sunday afternoon and Raycom sports, a brand that is all too familiar to people in Nada's neck of the woods will produce all games for the CW. This is from ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips quote. We are thrilled to be adding the CW to our weekly television lineup for ACC football and basketball games. The CW's national distribution will directly benefit our student athletes, teams, alumni, and fans. We appreciate ESPN and Raycom for working together and look forward to the partnership with the CW and quote uh, real quick. Nada, turn on that mic. I can't name you. And I'm, I, I don't say this proudly, but I saw like, I saw some, uh, some meme going around yes. on the tweet machine. I, I cannot name you a single show on the CW. Can you name me at least one? I used to be able to because I, I used to watch a lot of like Black Lightning, Arrow, Smallville, all that. I could not name you a current show. Like Gossip Girl is the furthest back I go with CW. So that's, that's what. So Gossip Girl was a CW show. Okay, it was. And w- wasn't the CW something else before it was the CW? I miss. It's the WB. So the Dawson's WB, Creek. There we go. The Devin WB. Heaven. Yeah. All those. Yes. So does that? So does that era? Like, does that count as, as CW? I don't know. I don't know. But there not, was a lot. not really, but it's close enough. But I do find it funny that we're going backwards in time, essentially, with this whole deal, because it's Raycom Sports basically doing this. And remember, Raycom Sports was trying to get out of this, and then now they're back, and they're back on a national level again. So so this is all very, very confusing for me, because somehow Doc Brown got in the time machine, and, and here we are right now. How about that? Um, I will, I'm looking at the, the greatest shows in CW history. Um, Number one is easy. Uh, Veronica Mars is a legitimately awesome show. So if you have not checked out Veronica Mars, it's really what put Kristen Bell on the map uh, way back when. And I believe we are in the middle of a writer's strike right now. I believe Veronica Mars might have gotten uh, killed off because of the writer's strike in the late aughts. There was uh, subsequently a... Uh, uh, the, the show was so popular and critically acclaimed that it actually... Uh, it used... Not a GoFundMe. Um, I can't remember the other... Uh, online fundraising campaign. It might as well have been a GoFundMe though. Yeah, it was basically that though. And they, and they made a movie from it and then they, uh, they had, uh, I think, uh, another bonus season. So it, that's, that's good stuff, but supernatural. I've heard of that. Never watched. 
Um, Gilmore Girls, I've heard of. Uh, although I would have thought that would have been on the WB. Maybe it was. I don't know. Smallville, heard of that. Vampire Diaries, Gossip Girl, The Flash, Jane the Virgin, One Tree. Yeah, One Tree Hill was the WB. That wasn't the CW, right? That was definitely the WB. That was WB, but it was one of those things that like transferred over because Buffy, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, yes. had had seasons on WB and then also went over to the CW for a final okay. last forgettable season. There we go. Um, well, uh, the point is this: the CW is. I saw this tweet from uh, Brandon Marcello, who, who does a good job covering the SEC. Uh, he said the CW is available in 99.5% of U.S. households. 99.5%. Now, it doesn't have the same kind of distribution or awareness or just you know brand appeal as major uh, television networks and even something like ESPN. But it, it, the games will be on over-the-air television. And it's just it's a relatively small portion, but it's a nice little boost. And it comes at a time when we still haven't gotten the Pac-12's media deal done. Like the Pac-12, we still don't know where this league stands with its media rights deal. And there's all these connected things between the Pac-12 and that media rights deal and what schools may or may not be vulnerable with the Big 12. The Big 12 had its football media days this week. And Brett Yarmark, the commissioner, um, was not as... <laughs> willing to talk about expansion this year as he was a year ago, but people still wonder if it's Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, or Utah, or Yukon, or Gonzaga, and what the Big Shelf will or won't won't get, and uh, and how the Pac-12 media rights deal ties into this, and and all this stuff. Um, meanwhile, the ACC with a nice little a nice little boost there. So bring on the memory, but uh, but I think that's actually a good little. It's a small it's a small piece, but it's a good piece for the ACC, which could use as much uh, good pub as possible. Um, Speaking of the ACC and uh, and a figure who is heavily tied to that uh, that particular conference, but is is the ambassador for the sport and has been you know the voice of the sport for four plus decades here. I want to send a good note uh, and good wishes and good health out to Dick Vitale, who's eighty four, and on Wednesday announced he was uh, diagnosed with cancer for the third time. I'm going to read his statement here. Uh, he said, "I'm sorry to share that I received tough news today from Dr. Zaitels about my throat." The tests on the tissues they removed showed that I have vocal cord cancer and will need six weeks of radiation to treat it. Doctors, he tells me that it has an extremely high cure rate and that radiation, not more surgery, is the best path. Dickie V writes, I plan to fight like hell to be ready to call games when the college hoop season tips off in the fall. Hell yeah, Dick. Um, Dr. Z feels that scenario is entirely possible. I want to say that I have been so touched by the tweets, text notes, prayers, and we'll ask all of you to continue to send positive vibes uh dickie v we wish you the best i mean he is he has overcome lymphoma melanoma this is a person who has put more of his time and energy and used more of his platform as someone in the national media to raise money to defeat cancer than anyone and i mean anyone ESPN started in, what, 1979. Dick Vitale has been there since the start. He is synonymous with the sport of college basketball. Yes, he does work at a competing network, but Vitale's work for cancer research has been uh, documented as deeply as, as anyone in the fight. I want to say it might be in the fight in the history of this country. I mean, he is, he literally has has done work that I don't know if it can be measured how much money this man has raised. I'm talking in the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And it is uh, tragically ironic and downright unfair that he has uh, been afflicted uh, with cancer now three times. But the good news is uh, this latest battle apparently is extremely winnable, very high cure rate. So 
Dick, get well soon and hope to hear you on a call this season. Uh, Vital, you know, for some, sure, maybe he's an acquired taste, but whatever, man. No besmirching his name on this podcast. He is just someone who has bettered the sport and, and spread the good word of college troops and was a, a formative voice in me coming to love the sport in the 90s. And I know that people listening to this podcast, many of you feel the exact same way. Dick, get well soon. Hope to see you at a game next season. Um, some more health news. This one, a bummer, but I do want to mention it at least because uh, we had a, a really talented scribe who died on Thursday. Bill Reynolds was based out of Providence. Longtime columnist. He died at 78 years old. Um, he wrote in Providence for four decades, was the author of a dozen books, a standout college basketball player at Brown. Um, if you're really a, a hoops diehard, you might have come across his books, Fall River Dreams, Basketball Junkie. Both of those tied to Chris Heron, who came out of that area, went to BC, and then famously, you know, had significant drug issues. And now Chris Heron has has you know been on uh, the speaking uh, circuit, if you will, for the better part of a decade, talking about his struggles. And uh, Bill Reynolds was a person who really uh, helped Heron on his road to recovery there. He also wrote Born to Coach with Rick Pitino. Uh, the Northeast has had a lot of gifted writers and columnists over the decades, and plenty of them would say that Reynolds and his gift for prose was about as good as anyone else in sports writing. Um, I'd imagine you see some tributes from Providence and Brown and the like. He went to, he went to Brown uh, next season. So just, you know, rest in peace, Bill Reynolds, an amazing, amazing sports writer and uh, someone who I had the fortune of, of sharing a press room with a couple of times over the years when I would go up there and, uh, and either cover a, a Providence game or, or see him at a Big East tournament. So uh, sad news, really good writer, uh, gone at the age of 78. Um, elsewhere, there's a couple more news items here, then we'll get out of here, Nada. We did have another health update. Uh, Jerome Hunter, the super senior from Xavier. Xavier put out this tweet on Wednesday, Tuesday. Uh, quote, Jerome Hunter is dealing with a medical issue that has sidelined him from all on-court basketball activities. Our medical team is working with Jerome to navigate a path for his return to full health. His timeline for a return to basketball will be established at a later time. That's the entirety of the statement from Xavier. Sean Miller tweeted, we are fully committed to supporting Jerome. Nothing is more important than the health and well-being of our players. Our team and staff stand united in offering him the care and encouragement that he needs as he works his way back to playing the game that he loves. There is no disclosure on the issue. I am not going to outright say or speculate this that this is the issue, but history of players having something tied to uh, cardiovascular activity will lead schools and coaches to be a bit vague in this regard. I do not know if that is the issue with Jerome Hunter. I certainly hope it is not. But, you know, if a player sprains sprains an ankle, tears an ACL, rips an Achilles, has to have shoulder surgery, there is transparency about that. When it comes to more of this stuff with, with, uh, with the long-term viability of health of a player... There is a uh, no, intentionally and understandably so. There's just there's less transparency with that. Whatever it is, Jerome Hunter has been a uh, has been a quality player. Like he has he has made that program better. Started his career at Indiana. Now at Xavier, hopefully he is able to return. But hopefully he can be in good health as soon as possible. And uh, we wish him nothing but the best. Uh, lastly, as long as there's no other news updates, I'm checking. I'm literally checking Twitter in real time. I think we're good. I think we are think we are good. Actually, how about this? Here's a Rothstein tweet. He said, sources, as momentum builds in college basketball to shrink the transfer portal window from 60 to 30 days, 
The date being discussed to begin moving portal entries is the Monday following the conclusion of the Elite Eight. Uh, I can confirm that. I've had that for... This is not... I swear, I'd, I'm not bringing this up to be like, Rostin, just so you know, I had that. I, I have had this discussion with a few sources dating back a couple of weeks now. Um, I will have more on this in story form probably by the end of July amid some bigger stuff there. Um, but to kind of attach what Rothstein was tweeting there this morning, there is some momentum for that. But there was also a push from coaches to, and I don't know if this is going to be logistically possible or not. Um, because so many schools end their seasons a week plus, two weeks plus before the Monday uh, of uh, after the Elite Eight, th- there are some coaches that want the transfer portal to open the day after or two days after a team season ends. So there is no universal date because why do we got to sit around for two and a half weeks and waiting for the portal to open with our guys? That's just not a good environment when we know we might have two guys that want to get out, four guys that want to get out. And now they're, you know, a situation is kind of festering. I hear that entirely. I don't know if there's enough momentum to make that change possible, but I do know there's a, there's a current discussion over whether it should be, the Monday after the Elite Eight ends or individual, there's not a ton of momentum to open the portal after the end of the season because then you're really waiting, making everyone but basically four teams wait for the portal like an extra week or two. Um, and it's a major, major talking point in in college hoops right now. So keep an eye on that. Uh, last thing, I had a story go up on Thursday about Micah Shrewsbury. So um, it's nothing like, ultimately that newsy, but I caught up with Shrewsbury at the peach jam. Not if we could link this in the pod description as well, that'd be uh, that would be appreciated and was able to get insight into why he took the Notre Dame job, but really Jack Swarbrick, the outgoing athletic director at Notre Dame agreed to speak on the record about the process and show a lot of transparency in what happened there. So a lot, if you, if you're intrigued by how these searches go with high major candidates and what actually happens. Now, Notre Dame's a little bit different because Bray announced he would resign at the end of the season in the middle of January. So there was public lead up for, you know, two months essentially for Swarbrick. Uh, that doesn't always happen. Sometimes these ADs, even if they might feel it's coming around the corner, if they know they're going to fire a coach uh, from a public standpoint, they don't have as much lead time as Swarbrick had here. But um, he revealed a lot there. He revealed he had three, you know, Hail Mary candidates. He did not provide me those. I've had a few people be like, what were the three candidates? Who were the three candidates? I don't know. Um, I would, I don't know this to be, I would believe he actually called Brad Stevens because Brad Stevens wasn't coaching. He's an Indiana native and said, hey, Brad, do you want to, <laughs> you want to come and coach at Notre Dame? I don't know that to be the case. I would, if you had, if you had me guess, I would say Brad Stevens was one of those. Um, I would think Billy Donovan coaching the Bulls. Uh, they were down. He would be another one of my guesses that, and you know, obviously very established, very uh, accomplished in the college game. He makes sense. Uh, and then maybe you just call Jay Wright just to see, I, but I don't know those to be the three names. Those are just my, those are my three guesses, Stevens, Donovan, Jay Wright. And they all turn, they, who, whomever the three were, they all turned him down. And then as this, as the piece details, Notre Dame got a, and there was, there was no search from here. So it was just Swarbrick and his confidants, a team of five of them. They got up to 80 names initially. It was just like, all right, this seems like a good coach, successful. What, 80 names. And then eventually they, they screen and scan and screen and scan and screen and scan. It goes from 80 down to 
eventually 15. They cut that down to eight. And then the, the one juicy nugget in particular is that when the end of February came, Swarbrick needed to have an idea of who was actually interested in the job and who he would be able to further vet, prepare to potentially interview once we got to mid-March, once team seasons ended. And there were eight sitting head coaches in men's college basketball that were the finalists. There were eight finalists. And Swarbrick told me every single one of those coaches took his 45-minute Zoom call at the end of February, um, which is not a surprise. And there's I don't find anything wrong with this whatsoever. Um, but it does speak to the reality of a lot of these things where the representatives of these coaches are obviously talking to Swarbrick and then he just needed an answer. Like, you know, I need to see if you have interest and you want to get a feel on these guys. Every single one of those coaches took that interview. Um, but Shrewsbury had established himself as the favorite by that point. Um, and then there's a good story uh, in the piece about how Penn State had actually just taken a terrible loss to Rutgers, but it didn't dissuade Swarbrick whatsoever. And then, uh, and yeah, he was, he was the leader from there on out. And uh, he wound up going once Penn State season ended. Shrewsbury coached Penn State to its first NCAA tournament win in 22 years. Uh, and he has a very, very good reputation in coaching circles. So Notre Dame got his top candidate. If you're interested in that stuff, it's a mid-July deep read. Yes, it's a long read, but you know something to pass the time and give you uh, a little bit of insight on, on how those things work. I appreciate everyone involved in the story and being, uh, being transparent. Um, there was one particular piece about it where I was talking with uh, Micah's wife, Molly, and we had talked about a bunch of stuff. And there's like, you know, I, I wound up even having to chop a lot from the story. Um, but she said, but she brought it up and she was like, you know, there's, there's one thing that I just have to mention here. Cause I didn't mention it at all before this, but uh, you know, I feel like I want to get it out there. And it was the fact that, um, you know, Micah and Molly are parents to, to four children and two, two boys and two girls. So the boys are the older ones and, and the oldest one, Braden's actually going to play with Micah at Notre Dame this season. But she said, we had this house and we had a slanted driveway and, you know, basketball family. Like we wanted to have a hoop, uh, but we couldn't, pl- we couldn't have the hoop in the driveway. It just wouldn't work. We didn't have the driveway for it where we lived when they were at Penn State. And so they paid, you know, they paid money to have a court and hoop installed in their backyard. And she said, we loved it. Like it looked, it looked great. The boys loved it. They played on it all the time. And uh, they just happened to have a neighbor who was not about this whatsoever. This woman would, you know, at some point they realized uh, that this woman was just did not want to hear the sound of boys playing basketball and the ball bouncing or whatever. And she would complain that they'd be playing too late or they'd be playing too long in the afternoon. And at one point she had, you know, the boys are at this time, I guess, you know, 17, 15 or 16 or 14, something like that. So they can be home by themselves. And so they were. And so she comes home at like seven thirty one one night. And when she pulls in the driveway, there are two police officers in the driveway. And she's like, what's going on? And the police are like, yeah, we just, we got a call about a noise ordinance uh, with your boys. And like the, I guess the police officers were just kind of like, you know, they call, we got a show kind of deal, but it really took the family back. Understandably. So like we've reached the point where we're calling the police on children playing basketball in the backyard. And, uh, as they were debating about whether Notre Dame would happen or wouldn't among many factors, it was kind of like, you know, 
if we're going back to Indiana, which by the way, Micah and Molly met in high school. They were high school sweethearts. Um, and then they got back together in college and have been together forever. Uh, they're both from Indiana. Their families live there. Like in addition to all that, like, can you ever imagine like living in Indiana and having a neighbor like complain about your children playing basketball on your own property? Um, so that part in particular got, I know got noticed, picked up and shared, but, uh, it was one of many factors there. Ultimately, you know, Penn State got Mike Rhodes. I think Mike Rhodes is going to do a really, really good job there. And Notre Dame got Michael Shrewsbury. And the hope here is that he can uh, he can do what Mike Bray did. And that is last for two decades at a really good program, but a, a different job from a lot of them. So if, if that stuff interests you and you want to get a look into what actually happens when a high major coach insurance goes down, that was my big uh, my big read of the week there uh, over at CBSports.com. So I appreciate you. I think that's about it. Nada. I, I went solo here for 44 minutes. What the hell am I doing? We got to get out of here, right? You I mean, told me 30. You told me 30, 35 minutes. I feel lied to. Let's go home. You've got to go enjoy your Dave Matthews Band Weekend in Saratoga. I do. And here you are delaying and blocking your own blessings. I am disappointed in you, sir. Yeah, that's my bad. We can can get out of here. We'll have shows. You know what? I hope... Listen, if you appreciated this little Friday special bonus episode... Nada's got Sia on the graphic here. Like, get out of here. Wrap this show, Norlander. Uh, please do log in. Give us a little five-star review. Hit the like button on YouTube. We appreciate all of you for everything. And GP will be back on the show next week. Get into our uh, our summer shoot-around series. I'm really excited about that. Have a wonderful, safe, enjoyable summer weekend to everyone. We'll talk to you in just a couple of days.